Well, if you were to walk into a bookstore and just go into the section marked parenting, hear a couple of chuckles. Uh, I guarantee you, you'd be overwhelmed with the options. How many books on parenting do you think Barnes and Noble carries? Or Amazon? I don't know. I, I didn't look it up. But I guarantee you it's mind-boggling. Now, something interesting, though. Kids, if you were to walk into any bookstore and try to go and find a book about how you're supposed to relate to mom and dad, I bet you wouldn't find one. Now, leave it aside for just a minute that you do not want to read a book like that. Okay? I know. The point still stands. Okay? There are tons of books Uh, that teach mom and dad how to relate to you, kids, but there is not much to teach you how to relate to mom and dad. And adults, doesn't God want you to know what he expects of you in relation to how you treat your kids? And kids, don't you think God wants you to know what he expects of you in relation to how you treat mom and dad. Both of those things we, we just instinctually know have to be true. Because you see, the gospel impacts every area of our life. The gospel doesn't just ex- ex- inform us explicitly about spiritual matters. Say, Bible, or, or, or Bible reading, or, or prayer, or, or church life. The gospel informs and shapes every aspect of our lives. And so last week we learned how the gospel impacts our marriages. Marriage being the most central relationship in home life. And this week we'll learn how the gospel impacts the other relationships at home. Kids, your relationship to parents. Parents, your relationship to your kids. And herein, brothers and sisters, I say without pastoral hyperbole, herein is the key to a happy home. So who here wants a happy home? Every single one of you do. A peaceful home. The keys are here. In this week's text. And in last week's text. The keys are here. And so may God grant us grace to enable and to live out what is here and what he has for us here. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and read with me verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. As we make our way toward the end of this excellent book. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Four verses, very simple this morning. Verses 1 through 3 are instruction for children, that's point 1. Verse 4 is instruction for fathers, that's point 2. And let's just start with the first point. So what's the first word in verse 1? Children. Children. This is a word from God addressed specifically to children. So, kids, kids, every one of you in the room, kids, 
Will, Catherine, all of you, Levi, uh, watch out, I'll name names, Noah, uh, okay, all of you, kids, I'm looking at you from the young ones to the old ones, I want you to listen to me. Would you, Gracie, ah, 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 see, see, would you give me your attention? This is a word from God addressed specifically to you. This is so cool. And don't misunderstand me, kids. All of the word of God applies to you. But this is a word spoken specifically to you. The Lord is saying, Rocco, Lexi, Cecile, Kyla Ray, Noah, Avery, Kenny, Josh, Naomi, Ryan, Carson, Ellie. I can't name you all. Got like a list this far now. I'm speaking with you specifically. And so, parents, while I want you to listen, because the explanation of these three verses does apply to you, right now, kids, I want you to particularly listen because this is a word spoken directly to you from God. Now, kids, why would God speak directly to you? Because He values you. Isn't that kind of awesome? The God of the whole universe cares about you. You can see this in the way his son, Jesus, related to kids when he ministered on earth 2,000 years ago. Now, I know many of you know this, but it's good to just review. Jesus is God who came down to live live among us as a man. So Jesus is God and Jesus is man. And I'd say that makes Jesus a pretty important hombre. Wouldn't you, kids? If he is God, that means he's pretty important. Now, kids, have you ever watched with mom or dad, uh, maybe the news or, or, or a news feed on their phone, maybe, and you've seen somebody important, say like the president, and he's going somewhere and he's going to meet with somebody? You know, whenever the president goes somewhere, he's got all sorts of security guys and bodyguards all around him. And what are they doing? Well, they're keeping him safe, but they're, they're making sure he gets to his appointment on time and he doesn't get sidetracked with other people who want to see him. Have you ever seen that, kids? Is the universal sign for yes? It's okay. Oh, well, that's kind of like Jesus. He was oftentimes going from here to there to heal someone, to speak the truth of God's word to someone. He was very busy. He was very important. And he, too, had people around him. He had his disciples. And sometimes those disciples would try to make sure Jesus could get to where he was going because lots of people were very interested in talking to Jesus. But do you know who Jesus made time for even in his busy schedule? He made time for you. One time he even had to tell his disciples who were shooing kids away. No, let those young ones come to me. He values your kids. He wants to speak to you, kids. And he's actually speaking to you this morning. Just as sure as uh, Jesus spoke to kids in his earthly ministry, he's speaking to kids every day through his word, the Bible. This is a word directly from God to you. And there's something else I want you to see, kids. And parents, I want you to see this too. God assumes that kids are part of the church. And God assumes that kids are listening at church. 
Paul wrote this letter to churches around Ephesus, and he intended this letter to be read aloud on Sunday mornings. And when they gathered for worship, he assumed that kids would be there, and he assumed that kids would be listening by the time the reader got all the way to chapter 6. That's like, that's like 25 minutes into this thing. Now, kids, what's God's particular word to you this morning? It's to honor and obey your parents. That's God's word for you. It's to honor and obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What does it mean to obey? It's really simple. It means to do what mom and dad tell you to do and not do what mom and dad tell you not to do. So if a parent tells you to go and make your bed, you need to go and make your bed. If your parent tells you not to watch Disney Plus right now, then you don't watch Disney Plus right now. To obey is to do what mom and dad tell you to do and not do what they tell you not to do. It is very simple, kids, but God has placed mom and dad as an authority over you. Mom and dad are in charge, and you must submit yourself to mom and dad's authority. You must obey them, and you must honor them. Now, honoring your parents certainly includes obeying them, but it's broader than that. It includes you respecting them in your heart. It includes not just doing what God says, but having an attitude of respect for them and appreciation for them. Now, the duty to obey is something that eventually trails off. And kids are like, when does that happen? Okay, don't ask that question too quickly, all right? Now, the duty to obey eventually trails off. Kids, when you become an adult and you are no longer under your parents' authority, you can watch Disney Plus as much as you want, you can eat more Twizzlers than your digestive system can handle, and you can choose to let your room look like a herd of elephants ran through it. That is your call at that point. But the duty to honor your parents never trails off. So your parents invested 20 plus years into raising you, and for that God would have you to honor them always. Now you know where very practically you see this duty show up for you as an adult, kids? So kids, when you get older and you're an adult, do you know where this duty to honor shows up? It's if and when your mom and dad become unable to care for themselves anymore. That's one example. If your mom and dad get to the point where they can't care for themselves, do you know who's chiefly responsible to make sure they're taken care of? You are. That's an expression of honoring them. Honoring them for their care of you. You care for them. And this is a good time for me to actually just step back to all of us and just ask a couple of questions about the text here. What age kids do you think the Apostle Paul is addressing here in this text? He's addressing kids that are still under their parents' authority. So younger kids and older kids, kids who are still clearly under their parents' authority. Second question would be, well, at what age are kids no longer under their parents' authority? So in other words, when do kids become adults 
And when does that command to obey no longer apply, but the command to honor still clearly does? We have to say here, different cultures answer this question differently, right? So different cultures have different formal or informal rites of passage per se, where kids are no longer kids, but kids are full-fledged adults. But let me just give you my two cents, which I think is very applicable for the time in which we live. Kids, parents, I think you become an adult when you're no longer financially dependent on mom and dad to support you. So that's when mom and dad aren't paying your bills. That's when mom and dad aren't financially supporting you, providing you the things that you need, including a roof over your head or the education that you are having. When you are independent and on your own, when you're washing your own laundry and fixing your own meals and paying your own bills, I think that's when you're an adult. Now, I would tell you there's no chapter and verse for that, but I think there's wisdom in that, and I think that makes sense of the Bible in the particular culture in which we live right now. Now let's ask the question, why? That's the next point on your sermon outline. Why, why this command to obey and honor parents? Well, first, Paul says so simply because it's right. Paul's appearing here, appealing here, to the law of God that's written on everybody's heart. Everybody knows that it's right that children should obey their parents. You don't have to read a chapter or verse in the Bible to know that. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. Everybody knows that. Kids should obey their parents. So kids, you should obey your parents because it's right. And you should also obey because it's written. So, not only did God write this down deep in your heart, he also wrote this down deep in his law. Honor your father and mother. Where's that from? Anybody know where that's from? Honor your father and mother? Uh, Yes? Yes, it's from the Ten Commandments. It's from the law of God. Now, this is for extra bonus points. I don't have any Twizzlers. If I did, I'd throw it your way. But bonus points, which commandment is it? Do you remember? Do you remember? (laughs) It's the fifth. That's right. So kids, to disobey your parents is a sin against God. This is very important. It's written. And finally, you should obey and honor because it's attached to a promise. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And what's the promise? Well, the promise is, what's the promise associated with with honoring and obeying? The promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Kids, if you obey and honor your parents, the promise of God is that it will go well with you. That means blessing. You will be blessed. And it will go long with you. You will live long in the land. This may seem strange, but this is very simple. Like the Proverbs, brothers and sisters, you know the Proverbs gives us truths that are generally applicable. Not always the case, but generally applicable. That's what this is here. This is a general truth. It's a promise that holds true generally. Kids that obey and honor their parents, that submit themselves to the authority of their parents and receive the instruction of their parents and embrace the training and care of their parents, those kids do well in life. 
it goes well with them. And those kids also typically live long. It goes well with them for a long time. They don't die young because of really bad decisions, doing things their parents told them not to do. You know, honestly, kids, this is a pretty awesome promise. Who wants to do well in life? Two. That's good. Okay. All right. Well, we got other work to do. Who wants to live a long life? Okay, better on that one. Kids, honor and obey your parents. God has placed them over you for your good, and it will go well for you if you obey them. Now, all of us, let's just step back for just a second. And let's just press home some ideas here in this section. Let's just kind of press them down. What is obedience? So when we think of obedience and what that looks like, there's a phrase from a well-known author uh, that we made use of often in our home, and it's this. Obedience is doing what mom and dad told you to do right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. So kids, if mom or dad tell you to clean your room, you need to do that right away, all the way, and with a good attitude. So if any of those three pieces are missing, it's not obedience. So if you don't do it at all, well, that's clearly disobedience. If you do it, but you leave a third of your room undone, well, that's not obedience. And if you do it, but you roll your eyes, or you go, that's not obedience either. Parents and kids, be clear on what obedience is. Obedience is right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And when we think, kids, when we think about why honoring and obeying your parents is for your good, let's just talk about that for a second. So the Bible clearly attaches this promise that life goes well when you obey and honor your parents, right? I just want us to talk about that. I want you to think about that in two ways. One level is very practical. It's very earthy, okay? Kids. Kids, I want you to pretend like your parents just aren't here for a second, okay? They're not hearing what I'm saying. Kids, your parents have wisdom about life that you just don't have, okay? Now, you, well, parents aren't supposed to be hearing this. Kids, your parents have wisdom about life that you just don't have, okay? So when mom and dad make a decision for you, God wants you to obey them because they're actually making those decisions for your good. And they know what's for your good more than you know what's for your good because they've seen farther out on the horizon of life than you have because they've lived more of it. So when they won't let you buy the Xbox right now, and when they tell you you have to save for it, it's because they want to teach you the importance of delayed gratification. So when they won't let you listen to or watch everything that you'd like to listen to or watch, it's because they know better than you do what you put into your mind affects your heart and how you live and think about life. Even simple stuff like youngsters, when your parents decide what you eat. (laughs) It's because they're teaching you how to eat 
healthy so that you get the nutrients you need to live long. When they tell you that you need to give back to God a portion of grandma's birthday check to you, it's because they're trying to instill in you the reality that everything you have comes from God and you need to honor God with it. Simple idea, right, kids? You may not always understand the whys, but your parents are actually trying to lead you into blessing by virtue of what they allow or don't allow. So obeying them is for your good very practically, and you're going to flourish later if you submit to them now. That's practically, that's earthy. But actually, I have a much more important word to everyone. Much more importantly is the spiritual blessing associated with obedience. Kids, when your parents call you to obey them, do you know what they're really teaching you? They're teaching you that God calls you to obey Him. And your parents insisting upon your obedience is needed in order to teach you that God insists that you obey His Word. And kids, when they discipline you for your disobedience, they are teaching you that the eternally important lesson that God will discipline you if you disobey Him. Your parents giving you consequences is necessary in order to teach you that God will punish your sin. And when your parents forgive you, they are teaching you that God forgives in Christ. In this way, kids, obeying your parents leads you in the path towards the gospel. Does that make sense? It leads you into an understanding in real life that you don't obey as you should. Newsflash. That God takes that very seriously. That there are eternally painful consequences for disobedience. The Bible describes hell as that ultimate consequence. But God offers to forgive you in Jesus Christ. And this is where the ultimate blessing comes from. This is where where the ultimate long life, eternal life comes from. Learning the gospel. And on that note, let's just think about Jesus again. Isn't Jesus our perfect example of obedience? And I'm not just talking to kids. I'm talking to singles. I'm talking to parents. I'm talking to grandparents. I'm talking to everybody. Jesus perfectly obeyed his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, and he perfectly obeyed his heavenly Father, God Almighty. Never once did he obey. And this, brothers and sisters, is what qualified him to go to the cross and to take the place of disobedient sinners like us. So he obeyed, whereas none of us have, And on the cross, he paid the price for all of our disobedience, our disobedience to our parents, our disobedience to God. He paid the price for it. And so we can be saved through him, through faith in him. God accepts his obedience in the place of our obedience, and he forgives us. Parents and kids, this is why it's so important that we take what God says seriously in this passage. Because it teaches us about these gospel realities and gospel blessings. So, one last thing on obedience. Specifically to parents, okay? Parents, you can't be timid about exercising your authority. This passage presupposes that you have authority and you're using it. So I'm sure that you've all seen homes where, in practice, the kids are kind of running the show. 
Everybody's seen that. And spiritually, that's a dishonor to God. And practically, it leads to a very unhappy home for both the kids and the parents. So parents, your kids need to be under your authority. And let me just make this suggestion to help flesh out what that looks like. This idea isn't original to me, but I think it's really helpful. When your child is young, don't allow him or her to do anything that you don't want them doing in 10 years. Okay? So if you don't want your 15-year-old climbing on the dinner table, don't let your 5-year-old do it. Okay? If you don't want your 13-year-old spitting out his food, don't let your 3-year-old do it. And if you don't want your 17-year-old yelling at you, don't let your 7-year-old do it. Practically speaking, when kids are young, particularly in the first five years of their life, it is extremely important that you build a foundation of them being under control and under your authority. Okay? And please... Don't let their cuteness keep you from this. I know they're cute, but disobedience isn't cute. Okay? And please don't let them disobey in the name of grace. Sometimes parents think this. They, they think it's okay to let their children disobey because that's grace, right? No, that actually teaches them something untrue about God. That he doesn't take sin seriously. And it actually denies them the blessing of coming to understand that truly, really, at a young age, just how seriously sin is. Okay, well, kids, don't go to sleep, but you can, you can relax a little bit. I'm not going to call on your name anymore, unless I think I need to. But parents, the text shifts here and it, addressed, it addresses fathers. Now, why does it address fathers? Is it, is, it, is it not speaking also to mothers? No, of course what's written here is both applicable to moms and dads. Yes, but fathers are the head of the household. Fathers are the ones with the ultimate divinely given authority, and so it's to fathers that God now speaks. And what does God say? Well, let's read verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what's the word to fathers? Twofold. Something to avoid. Something to pursue. So, something to avoid. Something to pursue. So what we're to avoid is provoking our children to anger. I think a few other translations could help us kind of just tease out what that means. The Holman Christian Standard says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. The NIV says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. The parallel passage in Colossians says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The idea here, men, is that we can treat our children in such a way that we stoke frustration, anger, and discouragement. So this is sin. This is sin on our part. And this is not how we're to exercise our God-given authority. And I just want you to think about this. Does God deal with us, his children, in such a way that he provokes us to anger? Of course God doesn't do that. And he's our example. You see, God understands and he recognizes here the tenderness of kids. This is very sweet, actually. God recognizes that kids are like a plant. 
And, and plants, when they're young particularly, are so tender. If they're cared for well, what will happen? They'll flourish. But if they're treated harshly, then they'll wither. So fathers, we've got to exercise our fatherly authority in a way that doesn't provoke our children. So what are some ways that we can provoke our children? How, how do we provoke them? What are the things that we need to avoid? Uh, there are many things that could be said. I think of ten ways. You're like, whoa, ten. I think a lot more could be said, but let me bring out ten. Here are ways that you could provoke your children. Number one, by inconsistency in your discipline. So if you give your children consequences for something today, but not tomorrow, that can exasperate them. So they don't know what to expect. So by inconsistency in your discipline, that's number one. Number two, by not making boundaries or lines clear. So, so parents, you have to make your rules and expectations clear to your children. If they're fuzzy or if they're confusing, then you need to shine the light on them and you need to brighten them up or clear away the cobwebs of confusion so that your kids understand clearly what it is that you expect. Otherwise, they're going to feel like soldiers walking around in a minefield, you know? When am I going to step on something that's going to make dad or mom really upset, Right? So if you don't make boundaries or lines clear, that can exasperate your kids. Uh, by favoritism or comparison. So a surefire way to exasperate your kids is to play favorites among them. You know, you know, your older brother always makes good grades. You need to be more like your older brother. Next one. By not listening to them or understanding them. This is particularly important as your children get older. Parents, you must listen and understand where your children are coming from. And that before you make a judgment or punish them. If your child feels as though you have not understood the situation that you're punishing them for, that's going to provoke them. Next, by bullying or making fun of them. So who likes being bullied by anybody, right? How much worse if it's your parents who know all of your weaknesses and all of your faults. So don't do this, parents. Uh, by disciplining them in front of others, that's another way we can exasperate our children. If we discipline them in front of others. So parents, when at all possible, discipline and conversations about discipline need to take place in private. Take your child away from their friends. Take your child away from their siblings. Take your child away from the in-laws. Go to where nobody else can see and correct your child and talk to your child in private. Next, by disciplining in anger. This is a huge one. Parents, if your temperature is high, nobody ever has that struggle, right? If your temperature is high... You just need to step away from the situation and cool down and then come back, okay? So when you're angry, you're not in a good position to discipline your children. When you're angry, you're more likely to overreact. You're more angry to not listen carefully to them. You're more uh, likely to treat them harshly. And honestly, we just have to say this. This is hypocrisy. If, if children get angry and do something stupid, what would we do? We would talk to them about the need for self-control. Well, you who teach others, do you teach yourself? Jesus asks us, right? So don't discipline in anger. And this is a good segue into the next one. You can exasperate or provoke your children by not confessing your sin. 
and asking for forgiveness. So parents, just newsflash, your children see that you are a sinner. Not just in general terms. (laughs) They see very specifically how you are a sinner. Your kids see your inconsistencies. They see your sins. They see that you lost your temper. They see that you acted badly. They see all of it. And honestly, here's the glorious thing. That is not a problem provided two things are happening. Number one, you're trying to walk with the Lord yourself. In other words, you're not a hypocrite that calls them to a standard. You're not seeking to pursue yourself. And then number two, you confess your sins to your kiddos and you ask them for forgiveness. So when you sin against your kids, if you lose your temper and snap at them, if you discipline them in anger, whatever it may be, just confess it to them and ask for forgiveness. And here's the awesome thing. They are like pre-wired for forgiveness. Kids are so gracious. And this keeps them from being exasperated with you because they see, hey, mom and dad are honest, humble, and they understand that they're sinners, just like me. They're not calling me to do anything. They're not trying to pursue themselves. Very important. So next way we can exasperate our kids is by focusing on everything at the same time. So parents, have you guys ever been in a spot where you feel like the things you need to address or work through, it's just like, it's more like, actually, what are the things we don't need to address or work through? I mean, this list is this big, and this list is this big. Sometimes Krista and I would just realize, and, and honestly, it was is usually when we found ourselves exasperated. I wish the text said, children, don't exasperate your parents. <laughs> But sometimes Kristen and I would realize that we'd, we'd, we had just let things, not intentionally. I mean, here I am, I'm the pastor, and, and we're trying to, to model the Christian life. Sometimes we just recognize, holy smokes, we've just let all sorts of things get like way out of hand. And the temptation, if you realize this, is to just focus on everything. Now, don't do that. <laughs> okay? It'll exasperate your kids if you just kind of go nuclear and expect everything to be ship and buttoned up. Okay? You've got to prioritize what you think is the most important and make incremental progress. And then finally, just number 10. Number 10. We can exasperate our children by not praising them. And affirming our love for them regardless of their obedience. We can exasperate our children by not praising them and affirming our love for them regardless of their obedience. So parents, it should go without saying, but you should be very generous in praising and affirming your kids. Do not go light on affirmation and praise. When we first moved up here, we were shocked at just how expensive maple syrup is. Uh, Aunt Jemima is so cheap, you could just like bathe your pancakes in it. It's just like, it's, it's, it's all over the place, but maple syrup is so expensive. We're like, no, 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 no. Centimeter size is enough for that whole pancake, and that's all you're getting. Don't treat praise and affirmation like we treated uh, maple syrup, okay? It, don't, it's, it's, it's not that much. It's, it's like, pour it on. 
You, you, can't, you can't get enough. Pour it on. And make sure that they know, 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 know that you will always, always, always love them no matter what they do. This is important when they're younger. This is important when they are older. This is important when you are proud of them. This is important when they've made decisions that you are not proud of them for. This is so important. Make sure your kids know that you love them, that you are for them, that you will always love them. And why is this so important? Because this is how God loves his children. He loves us in spite of our actions. Praise God. So fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate them. That's what we're to avoid. Now the thing that we're to pursue comes next. Fathers, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now just look at those two words, bring them up. I guess that's three words. Um, Bring them up. That's actually just one word in the original, and do you know what it is? It's the word nourish. Fathers, don't provoke your children, but nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does it mean to nourish? Well, it means to actively care for, like you nourish your own body. Husbands, like you nourish your beloved wife. In fact, this is the same exact word Paul used in chapter 5, verse 29, when he told husbands to nourish their wives like their own bodies. So, so it means to actively care for. It means to, to feed and to shepherd. And it means to do so, this is so important, with a tender disposition. It means to do so with a gentle disposition. It means to do so with a caring and warm and thoughtful disposition. So just let two things come to the surface right away for you, men. Number one, God has placed you as primarily responsible for nourishing your children. You are to nourish your children. And God would have you to do this in a manner that is tender, caring, and kind. Now, what are you to nourish them in? Well, you are to nourish them in all the ways of God. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's nourishing them in all the ways of God. And notice there's a positive and and formative element to this instruction, right? Instruction, in other words, positive formation, inputs, guidance, filling and forming in the ways of God. And then there's a corrective element in this. The discipline of the Lord. In other words, fathers, and of course mothers, but this is addressed primarily to fathers as head of the house. Fathers, you are responsible to positively form and shape and pour into your children. Teach them about God. Teach them about His gospel. Model for them what it looks like to walk, love, and live for Jesus. And you are also responsible to correct them. That's discipline. I think the first one makes total sense to us, and I think we're comfortable with it. In other words, no Christian would say, you know, I think it's a bad thing to teach your children about the Bible. But I think the second idea, this idea of discipline, is sometimes neglected. But listen to me here. Discipline is a gift from God. 
Let me just read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, the Lord teaches us here that there are consequences for our sin. And parents, one of the ways God would have us to teach our children that is through discipline. And here I'm speaking specifically to the idea of spanking. I know that culturally this is viewed very negatively, but the Bible views this positively. Proverbs 13:24: whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22:15: folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29:15: the rod and reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother's, to his mother. Brothers and sisters, the Bible does not shy away from talking about spanking. Uh, spanking children is a gift from God. Now, can it be abused? Absolutely. Like so many of God's good gifts, think intimacy. It can be done wrongly and turned into something that's hurtful. Now, let, let me just be honest with you and kind of open you up to how we did this in our household. First of all, whenever I would need to do this with our children, I would never spank our kids if they didn't clearly understand what they were being spanked for and if they didn't clearly understand that what they had done was wrong. I wouldn't spank them. Second, I would never spank our children in front of others. Third, our kiddos always knew what to expect. They always knew how many spankings they would receive typically between two to three in our house. So this was never some reactionary, out-of-control thing filled with anger. Never. Fourth, once the spanking was done, we would always reconcile. I would affirm to the child that I'd forgiven him or her, that I loved him or her, and that this is the last that we'd speak about this, and then we'd hug. All sewed up. All done. Now, is there more to this that I don't have time to address? Yes. But I actually felt it necessary as your pastor to speak specifically to this. I know some of you are uncomfortable. You're like, this is being recorded. I know. It's okay. I felt it necessary to actually speak to this because of the negativity of concerning it in our culture. And I know that some Christians, particularly those converted as adults who weren't raised in Christian homes where they saw this modeled lovingly and well, they don't even have a category for this. And hear me, this isn't in conflict with the important truth of nourishing. That tender and kind 
and warm disposition toward your children. This is not in conflict with that. This is in harmony with that if it is done well. If you have questions about this, feel free to talk to me or another elder later. We would be happy to talk with you. Let's just step back again and press down again a few of the ideas here and close our time this morning. Brothers and sisters, one takeaway that I pray you come away with this morning is that your home is the primary realm of discipleship and training for your children. Your home is primary. And the church comes alongside and augments and assists you. So ask yourself, are you taking this seriously? Is the Bible being cracked open in your home? Do you together in your home? Do your children see you reading the scriptures in your home? Are you engaging in spiritual conversation in your home? Do you prioritize church life above other activities and events, particularly the ever-encroaching world of sports? Fathers, are you embracing and living out your role as a spiritual leader in your home? And if not, why not? So do you feel ill-equipped? Sometimes I talk to brothers and they just honestly tell me, I don't feel equipped. Here's the deal, I totally understand that, but you can do something about it. You can engage on Sunday mornings. You can take notes and study the passage ahead of time and discuss it with your wife or with a brother afterwards. You can make use of home group studies. You can come to men's prayer and ask for prayer about this very thing. You can ask a brother to help disciple you. You can do something about being ill-equipped, okay? But that said, God is also not calling hurt. So, so you don't have to know everything to lead. Praise God. You just have to be walking with the Lord yourself, leaning into your relationship with Him, and embrace this responsibility to lead your family willingly. The laziness. So you might feel as though you're ill-equipped, and that's why it's hard for you to embrace this call to lead your family. You, it, it might simply be laziness. I, listen, I know that this is hard work. Sometimes I just don't want to be the leader of my home. Sometimes I don't want to be the leader of the church either. I'll just confess. Um, and sometimes we shy away from hard work, right? Well, don't be like the sluggard in Proverbs that avoids something because it's difficult. That never goes well. Just... Take the first step by God's grace. It's also possible that you think your wife would do a better job. And if you feel like you can't lead because you feel like your wife would do a better job, uh, let me just say, first of all, you're blessed to have a wonderful wife if that's your biggest problem. Praise God. Sometimes when my wife talks to my kids, I just think, I'm just going to let you handle this because it was actually much better than I would have done. Praise God. Uh, But let me just say, circling back to last week's word about You're not called to lead based upon your qualification or ability. You're given the privilege and responsibility to lead, and your wife is delighted when you simply do the best that you can do. And then maybe maybe you're not leading because you're discouraged from past failure. One of the devil's favorite 
devices is to lock you up on the basis of past failure and whisper in your ear, you're never going to do any better. Don't listen to him. Remember the Proverbs. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Praise God. And remember the gospel. God's grace is never exhausted. God's grace and God's mercy is never exhausted. So are you taking this seriously? Right? That's one thing I, I want you to take away from this. Another thing I want you to take away from this is that this, all of this, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents and honor your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate, but nourish in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This, friends, is the key to a happy home. If you want a happy home, you need to insist on obedience from your children. And fathers, you need to take up this mantle as most primarily your responsibility. Let me just also say practically, when kids are older, don't be afraid of continuing to exercise your authority. Uh, yes, things change, and you move less. You know, there's, there's more and more appropriate freedom given to kids as they get older. Uh, think of it like a funnel. When they're young, the funnel is very small, and their freedom to make independent decisions is, is, is minimal. As they get older, the funnel gets broader, and their freedom to make more independent decisions gets more. But they're still underneath your authority. And don't be afraid of asserting that authority. Sometimes parents are very afraid that if they assert their authority when their kids are older, then they're going to lose them. Let me just tell you, you're going to lose them if you don't assert your authority. And you're going to lose them if you assert your authority without engaging in a relational way with your kids. Okay? Let me also tell you that when your kids are older, your role is not to be your child's friend yet. Okay? Next, I just want to speak a word to those of you who feel like you've failed. I know some of you just feel like you failed. Let me just say, if your kids are still in your house and you feel like you failed, uh, first of all, it's not black and white like that. It's not like total failure, total success. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a sliding scale for all of us. There are some days where I feel like I'm just a loser as a dad. I'm doing a terrible job. And my wife's like, you're overreacting. Stop it. I really appreciate that. Sometimes it's a brother who says, you're overreacting. That's not true. So it, it's never just black and white. I'm a failure. I'm a success. But let's say on the scale of things, you're discouraged because you're not doing well. Well, a couple of things. If your kids are still in the house, first of all, just have a conversation with your spouse. Talk about how you might want to move forward and address this. Don't just accept the status quo. Then have a conversation with your kids and just talk to them and be honest with them. And then just take steps with the time you have to live out these commands. Now, what say you feel like you've failed and your kids are out of the house? Well, I still think it'd be a good thing to pick up the phone and talk to your kids. Be honest with them about the things you wish you would have done differently. If you need to confess sin to them, just confess sin to them and tell them you want to have a, a good relationship with them moving forward and tell them that you love them and tell them that you, you want to see them and know them. 
Pray for them if they're outside of the house. Pray for them. And invest yourself in the life of the kids here at church. If your kids are out of the home, invest yourself in the life of the kids here at this church. Awana Foundations. Pray for parents and children here. Uh, finally, what do you do if you, if you either didn't have godly parents and you don't feel like you have the foggiest clue as to what to do? Or what do you do if you're a single parent household or you're the believer and your spouse isn't a believer? And so there's, there's just not necessarily fundamental unity on the things that the Bible would have to say here. Number one, I want you to remember that God is sovereign. So it's not an accident that you're in the position that you're in right now. Number two, I want you to remember that God gives grace. And he, he doesn't have to have all the situations and circumstances be just right for his grace to work. <laughs> and then I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God for wisdom and help. Think about James. If anyone asks, lacks wisdom, let him be discouraged and quit. No, let him ask of God. Who does what? gives to all generously and without reproach. And pray and ask for help knowing based upon Ephesians that God is able and willing to do more than we could ask or think. So pray and ask God for wisdom and help. Next, lean into God's word and lean into the church. Lean into God's word and lean into the church. The teaching and instruction that is available there. The fellowship and assistance that is available there. Uh, the fatherhood of others that is available there. The motherhood of others that is available there. The grandparenting love that is available there. In our recent graduation party with Naomi, I could not help but to be filled with Gratitude and love for how many older saints came and just expressed love towards my daughter. That's the family of the church. So if you feel like you're alone in your parenting, you're not. Lean into the life of the church and the experience of those who've gone before you. Well, that's a lot. And a lot more could be said, but we'll leave it at that. And let me encourage you, this fall we're going to be moving into a core seminar on parenting. Where it's kind of the last phase of all things COVID going away. Praise God. Uh, so we're going to be moving into core seminars and foundations. So we're going to have a core seminar on foundations. A core seminar on parenting right away. I want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is so rich, your word is so good, your word is so true. I pray, Father, that you would encourage your people this morning in embracing all that you have for us as moms and dads and kids, doing all in light of the transformative power of the gospel. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.